Isn't that a wonderful song? Rather than just being a wonderful song, I hope you heard the message. Forgive me just once more. Thank you, Yvonne. We're kind of like brother and sister. My wife and Yvonne are really very fond of each other. We go back a ways. Her father was my principal. Uh, he whipped me a few times when I was a young man. <laughs> and one day I saw him when we visited with him years later, and he said, Loma Kang, I own some of that success. But it's so good to know that whenever God calls on his people like he has called on Yvonne, and as he's calling on every one of us, one day the final invitation to accept Jesus will be extended. One day the final <coughs> baptism will have been performed. One day the doors of the ark of safety are going to be closed. And so God has given us this time that we now have for him to forgive us just once more. Thank you again, Yvonne, for that song. The message tonight is entitled, Get Ready. I'd like you to say that with me. Get ready. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this opportunity has been given by you for your glory. Send your Holy Spirit now to speak through me, in Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 19, verse 7, is where we find our text of consideration tonight. Revelation 19 and verse 7. And the Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. One of the blessings of being the last speaker is that people remember you for what you said, but one of the challenges is you get the least amount of time to preach. And so, since I'm from New York, I want you to listen like a New Yorker, because I'm going to preach like a New Yorker. That means if you miss anything I've said, get the DVD and slow it down. You know, the word get ready is hardly... Words that could be qualified as a sentence, yet those words have been used time and time again in response to one scenario or another. When I was growing up in New York City and we used to go to camp meeting at Victory Lake Camp Meeting, upstate New York and Poughkeepsie, New York, I remember on Sabbath morning my mother would come to our bed and say, wake up and get ready. And we knew exactly what she meant. Because following get ready, she would say, if you're not ready, I'm leaving. And we look forward to camp meeting. But there's something else that we need to look forward to more than camp meeting, and that is the coming of the Lord. What do you say? Amen. Get ready are also valuable words. One would hardly think that these two words could make such an impact as Michael Buffer thought they could. He included these two words, get ready, at the heart of his announcements. Let's get ready to, and you've heard that phrase before. And to this date, he has grossed more than $400 million just saying, get ready. An amazing accomplishment. When storms are coming, meteorologists tell us how to get ready. When Christmas is coming, advertisers remind us 
to get ready. And if you've come from the world that I used to live in, I was a disc jockey in New York City, I had all kinds of records. If you came from that kind of world, you might remember that when the train is approaching the station, you can almost hear the song playing in your mind, people get ready, there's a train a-coming. Get ready also brings with it a change of attitude. Consider the following. People that get ready for vacation have a happy attitude. People that get ready to fight display a mean attitude. When people get ready to lie, they have a shifty and restless attitude. When hungry people get ready to eat, the eyes widen, the tongue salivates, and the stomach begins to say, I'm ready. Isn't that right? When women get ready to shop for clothes and shoes that they like, they get a new attitude. When men get ready to shop at their favorite gadget stores and the wife is not with them, they get a relaxed attitude and a sense of, I'm free, finally I'm free. But no matter what you get ready to do or what you get ready for, your attitude will adjust to match that scenario. Thus the wise man says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Some have asked their children the following questions. How are you going to get ready for church with that kind of attitude? You can't get ready for college with those grades. How are you going to get ready for marriage without a job? Getting ready requires a change. Two words of urgency. Get ready. There's a storm coming. To get ready means that consideration of the event will determine how we get ready. Follow me carefully. In the consideration of the event, there are three responses that will manifest themselves. How many responses did I say? And here they are. There will be an emotional component when we are getting ready, our feelings about the event will be manifested. When we are getting ready, there will be a cognitive component. The thoughts and the beliefs about the event will be manifested. And finally, there will be a belief component. How the event influences our behavior. When I was sitting down today, putting the final touches on my sermon, I thought to myself, I said, with all the knowledge that God has given us about end time events, we should be the most alert Christian movement on the planet. Amen? Amen? I mean, we could actually not in a boastful way, but in a very accurate way, we can begin to predict events that are going to transpire on this planet. In politics, in religion, in the Vatican, in the world, in morality, with all that God has told us, we ought to be the most alert Christian movement on the planet. Among all the other movements, we ought to be the people that are ready. What do you say? When Paul speaks of that sudden destruction that will take the world by storm, he says to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6. You can turn there, but I'll read it. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In other words, he says in that statement, let's get ready. In Testimonies, volume 8, Ellen White says, I thank God for the inspiration that he's given us through Ellen White. What do you say? I mean, you can read her writings and find out what the newspapers are going to write two years from now. 
Am I right? Testimonies, volume 8, page 27 and 28. She reads about the condition of the world today. She says, transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world. And a great terror is soon to break upon human beings. The end is near. And listen to this. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. In other words, she's saying that we ought to be ready. We ought to get ready. Matter of fact, we should have been ready a long time ago. Amen for that. Every time a camp meeting ends, we go back home and said, we ought to get ready. And I'm asking myself the question, at what point, if we're continuing to just get ready, at what point will we be ready? Whenever my wife and I go on vacation, we get ready, but there's a point that we are ready. When we celebrate our anniversary, we get ready. We've been waiting 30 years for this one, and we hardly had any plans. We just decided all that we needed to do for our 30th anniversary is just spend time together. Amen, somebody. We had done it all. We took two suits down with us to Nashville. And uh, I took a nice suit and my wife took a nice outfit. And uh, we planned on dressing up together. And when we got to our destination, she says, now why are we dressing? For what? I'm not to, to impress you, for you to impress me. We know we could dress. Let's just have fun together. Amen? Amen? We had waited 30 years and made absolutely no plans but just spend some time together. And we had a good time. Every time I write on a CD or a book, I always put this text. Paul the Apostle taps us on the shoulder in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And he says to us, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now... Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. The New King James Version says, nearer than when we first believed. I go back and think of the many years, 26 years now as a pastor, 30 years as a husband, and I'd like to think that we are closer to the coming of Jesus now than we were 26 years ago. What do you say? I look at the world events around us, this new pope that has just been uh, inaugurated, if I can use that phrase. I sat, I sat in my living room stunned by the phrase, Habimus Papam, we have a pope, the first openly Jesuit pope to enter that seat. And knowing and understanding what the Jesuits stand for, I said to myself, Lord have mercy, the people of God ought to be awake now more than ever before. I still believe in preaching prophecy, what do you say? I still believe in talking about the movements that are coming, whether it's in the Vatican, whether it's in apostate Protestantism, whether it's in the world. The people of God have been given a message that we've got to be faithful and continue to preach. Amen. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believe. Ellen White says that Satan is intensely working to create an indifference among the remnant. He wants the people of God to know the message, to ignore the message, and believe that their safety is in knowing the message rather than getting ready for what the message prognosticates is on the horizon. I read this quotation and I thought to myself, should I read that? Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And the Lord impressed me, put it in there just in case you want to read it, so I'm going to read it. Are you ready? 
And the reason I'm going to read this is because it uses a word that we don't normally hear used in the pulpit. But Ellen White put this in the context, I believe, that really has an urgency. She says, early writings, page 118, she says, I saw that the remnant were not preparing for what is coming upon the earth. And then she says, stupidity, like lethargy, seems to hang upon the minds of most of those who profess to believe that we are having the last message. And then she says, my accompanying angel cried out with an awful solemnity, get ready, get ready, get ready, for the fierce anger of the Lord is soon to come. I believe this last message. What about you? If you believe it, there ought to be a cognitive response, an emotional response, a behavioral response. We ought to not just believe it or have a feeling about it. It ought to change the way we live as Seventh-day Adventists. Not just internal, but external. And if you have more interest for temporal things than for eternal things, you are suffering from lethargy. I always wonder how people come to church and want to rush home before the sermon ends and expect to be in heaven and have Jesus on a time clock. If some of them were allowed to go to heaven, you'll hear all these 12 o'clock rings going off right in the midst of Jesus' sermon. If you can't spend a thoughtful day in the presence of your brothers and sisters in fellowship, when the Sabbath comes, then you are suffering from lethargy. If you cannot fathom the thought of somebody possibly preaching for two hours a good sermon, <laughs> and, and by the way, what qualifies it as good is that it comes from the Word of God. Amen. If C.D. Brooks preached for two hours, I'll be right here. There'll be people that just get up in the midst of Elder Brooks' sermon and say, i got to go home. I'm tired. I always say to people, tell that to your employer on Monday morning. I'm not coming in. Why? I'm tired. <laughs> if spiritual things are on the lower end of your scale, then you are suffering from lethargy. I remember growing up, my father would make us, and I say make us, write out the multiplication tables from 1 to 12. My sister hated that. Every time she had to write it down, she'd throw it behind the subway steps. I mean, the, the basement steps. She'd ball it up and throw it behind the basement step. And my dad didn't know that until one day he had us go clean and down in the basement. There were balls and balls of white paper. All my sister's papers. She balled up the multiplication tables and threw them behind the steps. But he kept on pushing at us. And today, I can recite the multiplication tables back and front. My point is this, if you don't have interest in spiritual things, you've got to be determined to make spiritual things your focus until your mind develops an interest for spiritual things. You've got to pray the prayer that David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Another reason that we ought to get ready is that it's later than it's ever been before. And God is not going to allow sin to go on indefinitely. Amen. I, mean, I was just really troubled. And I, I'm going to keep talking about this until they pass the law. And then I'm going to keep talking about it. <laughs> Every time I hear that another state introduces gay marriage, 
it lets me know that we are coming to the end of time. Am I telling the truth? There's some parts of the world out of it and just arrested. That's all right. Maybe there's somebody in jail that need to hear that message. But the people of God ought not fear what men can do to them, but ought to take upon their shoulders the responsibility of preaching the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Every time I hear, and it's almost like there's a parade, or there are people applauding every time. Hey, France just passed. Ohio just passed. Washington, D.C. just had their first. And people say, oh, great. We're becoming open-minded. Well, when it comes to gay marriage, my mind is closed. Amen? When it comes to the Sabbath, my mind is closed. When it comes to the truth about the second coming of Christ, my mind is closed. As Elder Brooks says, there's some people that say, why don't you be open-minded when it comes to the truth? And I have been convinced by God's truth, my mind is closed. That means the truth is locked in. Ellen White says, in just a little time, Christ will come in power and great glory. What a terrible thing it would be if we should not be ready. She says, let us get ready at once. And that's in Heavenly Places, page 95. We have to be like Israel. I read that text in Matthew chapter 24. And it says, when the day came for destruction, when the world was inundated by a flood, it says, they were eating and drinking. And I stopped and thought about what's wrong with eating and drinking. And then the Lord sent me back to Egypt. You see, the night before God delivered the Israelites, they also were eating and drinking. But the difference was, those in the world were eating and drinking as though they had no urgency. They were sitting down. But when God told the Israelites to eat, he said, do it standing up. Standing up with your waist and your belt tightened, your sandals on. They ate their last meal standing. You see, the people of God should not become like the world. Be not overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, we are told, so that that day would overtake you unawares. It's good to eat. Amen. Amen. You hungry folk, it's good to eat. People like to eat, but never allow appetite to prevent us from an urgency of getting ready for the coming of our Lord. In the book Maranatha, she says on page 255, now we ought to get ready for the time of trial. Now we ought to know whether our feet are planted on the eternal rock. We must have an individual experience and not depend upon others for our light. In other words, my mama can't save me. My dad can't save me. My wife can't save me. Your husband can't save you. Notice how I said your husband? Because I only have a wife. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> Need no faux pas and no slip-ups. We've got to get ready. Pastor Kenny, we've got to get ready by checking our foundation for leaks. You see, if we are not built on the rock when the flood of compromise comes, it will wash us away. we got to check our foundation for leaks. we also got to check our fruit. we got to inspect our own fruit. You know, we like to inspect everybody else's fruit. We're quick to say, that's not a loving Christian. Oh, I can't stand her. She is so impatient. God is saying to you, check out your own fruit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and patience. And I'm convinced it's too late to be a cantankerous Christian. Can you say amen to that? 
I don't know. I don't even know how those words go together. Sometimes we dismiss the behavior of people that are church members. They've been members a long time and they'll pull a young person aside and offend them. And we say, well, that's just how brother so-and-so is. And we dismiss it. But that's not the kind of behavior that will be carried on in the kingdom of God. If you're cantankerous down here, you've got to give that to Jesus because there'll be no cantankerous Christians in the kingdom. There'll be no offensive Christians in the kingdom. There'll be no profane Christians in the kingdom. There'll be no lying and deceiving and conniving. There'll be no lust-driven Christians in the kingdom. We've got to give all that to the Lord down here. We've got to get ready now. Say, get ready now. This is the hour that we must get ready. Ellen White also says to us that we have to get ready by telling our neighbors and our friends that the world is coming to an end. We must work like it's five minutes before midnight. And at midnight, the doors are shut. In Maranatha, page 312, she says, The burden of my message to you is get ready, get ready to meet the Lord. There is a world to be warned of the near approach of the end of all things. i got to tell you something about the title of my sermon because when Shelley Quinn called me, uh, I think it was last week or maybe a week before last, I don't remember when, so many things happened in my life and at such a rapid pace, I was busy writing a book about you know, uh, Sunday mask and doing all the things that my wife gave me to do. My wife worked me hard this week. <laughs> I cut the grass, I cleaned out the garage, I cleaned her truck, my truck, I cleaned everything that could be clean. And she rewarded me today with a good dinner. Amen. Amen. But Shelly Quinn called me and she said, Pastor John, we need a sermon title. I said, Shelly, I don't even know what I'm preaching on Saturday night. She said, well, we need a sermon title. I said, Shelly, even if I give you a title, I'm going to change it because I don't know what I'm going to be saying. She said, John, sermon title. <laughs> I said, okay, just put get ready. Having no idea, Karen, that when I got home and I put those two words in the writings of Ellen White, I discovered over and over and over and over and over God's servant in every age and in almost every situation, she, she beckoned, she trumpeted that clarion call. In every situation, get ready to meet the Lord. Get ready, the end is near. Get ready to carry the gospel. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And I said, Lord, thank you. That's your title. Amen. We've got to get ready for universal, a universal government takeover. Well, my Bible tells me that soon the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Can you say amen to that? A government takeover. I'm going to be in that kingdom. What about you? We ought to get ready for a universal health care reform bill. Because God's going to shut down all the hospitals. The inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. What do you say? God is going to put the optometrist out of business. Every eye will see Him when He comes. The production of crutches and wheelchairs and canes and walkers will come to a screeching halt because the Bible says the lame man shall leap like a heart. Universal health care reform, the kind that God can put in effect that costs us absolutely zero dollars. Usain Bolt, that Jamaican Olympian ain't going to have anything on the saints because we will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. Can you say amen to that? We got to get ready for that. God has got us getting ready. And the reason why we are going to run, you see, David the psalmist gave context to the running. Christians run. I've heard of people, they say they run on in Jesus. I don't even know what that means. I've been in churches where people are running up and down the aisles and 
They're all exhausted and sweaty and everything. And I said, no, what just, what just happened? They said they were running on in Jesus. But I read the Bible, and this is the kind of running I want to do. David the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 32, he says, I will run the course of your commandments. Come on, say amen, church. If that's where God's commandments are going to lead me, I'm going to run the course of his commandments because the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong. But as Matthew says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I'm going to run until I end up in the kingdom of heaven. What about you? Get ready for the concert of the ages. Get ready for the choir. Some of you sit down there and listen to us sing. One day we're going to sit down and listen to you sing. What do you say about that? I met, a, I met a lady that's uh, well up in years. She's in her 80s, and she was telling me her experience, how she had been suffering from throat cancer and how she received treatment and how the doctors had done a wonderful miracle and they had taken out this large tumor in her throat. And, but every time she inhaled, I heard her. And I thought, but then what is the problem? She said, you know, you wouldn't believe it, but I used to be able to sing very well. And I said to her, don't worry about it. One day you're going to sing again. Amen? Amen. There's some people that said they can't sing. My wife sings on a hill far away. (laughs) But, see, I wouldn't say that unless we had a great love relationship. Because some of you will say that and your wife will leave you right here in Thompsonville. And go back to Texas without you. Am I telling the truth? Don't put your hand up. (laughs) But one day my wife is going to sing in the sweet by and by. Amen? We got to get ready. Get ready for the concert of the ages. The Bible says the tongue of the dumb will sing. And they will sing a new song. Oh, how we're going to sing. Nobody's going to sing like Doug Batchelor, my friend. He said, when we get to heaven, he said, John, it's going to be easy to find me. I'm going to be the one singing the loudest. Because Doug could do about anything, but he can't sing. Don't tell him I said that. If you're watching the program, Doug, I'm just admitting that you do a lot of good things. If I had a nickel, like Bobby, Bobby Davis said, if he had a nickel for every time somebody told, them, he told him their story about their conversion, he said, if I had a nickel for every time they mentioned Doug Bachelor's name, I'd be wealthy today. <laughs> He's a wonderful preacher. But in heaven, we'll hear him sing. The tongue of the dumb will sing. And I'm not applying that to Doug. (laughs) He's my good friend. I wouldn't say that about a good friend. Get ready for the earthquake of the ages. I have an app on my iPad that I had to just deactivate a moment ago because it always pops up when there's a 5.0 or greater. It pops up in the middle of whatever I'm doing and lets me know where in the world that there's an earthquake, where that earthquake just occurred. But I tell you what, when the final earthquake happened, it's not going to be popping up on anybody's iPad. Because even, even the building that houses the Richter scale is going to be coming down. What do you say? The Lord says, I will shake the heavens and the earth will be moved out of her place. And then the reason for the earthquake is going to be this. The earth is going to quake and cast out the dead. And whole, I, I am looking forward to the day when the dead will be cast out of their graves. I've got a mother in New York. I've got a mother in the Virgin Islands. And I told you before, a couple of years ago, I don't know where I'm going to be. 
I want to be in New York to see Mama Haynes who gave me the way of life, who, who led me into the path that I now stand in. I want to be in the Virgin Islands to see my mother come forth from her dusty grave. God gave me the privilege of baptizing my mother after we were abandoned and, and, and separated from three months old to almost 26 years old. I didn't even know who she was. And God gave me the privilege of baptizing her. And sometimes I say, I want to be in the Virgin Islands to see her come forth from the grave. So some days New York, other days the Virgin Islands. But God's got this thing figured out because he says, why don't you just meet them in the air? <laughs> Amen? Get ready for the reunion of the ages. Families separated by death will again embrace their loved ones. Oh, how wonderful that's going to be to see those that we've laid to rest. Every year, people are being laid to rest. As we sit here, people are dying all around us. Tragedies, buildings falling. I saw the video of an airplane, a 747, a cargo jet taking off in Afghanistan. Seven Americans on board perished because the cargo shifted. And before they can even get to a thousand feet, I watched in horror as the video was put on YouTube. I looked at that. My wife told me about it. I watched this 747 fully loaded with fuel as it fought its way. They said what had happened is one of the cargo bays had slipped and began to imbalance the plane. And as that plane struggled to get altitude, it just teetered and tipped and then just came crashing to the ground in a fiery ball of destruction. And I thought to myself, right there, then are there seven records for eternity just shut. And I cannot imagine the sadness that the families have to follow on with and the, the, the families that have to pick up the broken pieces. But if you love the Lord, one day there's going to be an earthquake and even your husbands and those who perished and whatever the disaster may be will come forth from their graves. Praise God for the resurrection. Friends that I lost in high school, friends that I lost in church school, family members, God is going to break up every place where there is going to be a saint in a grave. I said a number of years ago, be careful. Don't be in Walmart when the earthquake happens because there are going to be some saints that come through the floors in Walmart. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. You don't know that. 200 years ago, it could have been a burial ground. Now it's a Walmart. <laughs> Just a thought. But what a reunion that's going to be. Parents reunited with their children, children reunited with their parents. And not just reunited, but as the songwriter says, reunited and you look so good. <laughs> Amen? Amen? We're not going to see old parents come forth from the grave. We're not going to see parents with eye problems and parents with hearing aids. They're going to come forth from the grave looking so pristine and so perfect in the, in the righteousness and the, and the remake of Jesus, a complete Extreme makeover. Amen. I see saints that come to church and some of them struggle. We have a saint in church that always tells me what the next thing is. You know, she had so many issues and so many things that had been broken in her body throughout her life. And every now and then she gave her testimony. She said, this week the Lord fixed this part. And last month the Lord fixed that part. And a year ago he fixed that part. And I said, sister, tell the doctors to quit it. Because when the Lord comes back, he won't have anything to fix. <laughs> but oh, how beautiful it's going to be when Jesus comes. Can you say amen to that? No more separation. No more death. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more funerals. Amen. 
My sister called me the other day and she said she just came back from a funeral. She was down at the World Trade Center when September 11th occurred just about 12 years ago. Can you imagine 12 years ago? And she had gone to so many funerals. She said, John, you know, I could quit just out of being in shock. I have put so many friends in the grave. I could quit the force and get full pay just from the sheer shock of going to so many funerals. And to this day, she's struggling with dialysis. She go to work and work maybe a double shift and then go to dialysis and then go home. Or some morning she gets up early, go to dialysis and then go to work for eight hours. And I said, how do you do it? She said, just pray for me. And I keep praying for my sister because when the Lord comes, I want my sister to be in the ascension. Left the church at 16 years old. And I'm praying for her to come back. My wife and I pray for her all the time. There are two people that we pray for every single day. My wife's mother and my sister. Every single day. And then we add to that list as the priorities of church members and people that we know and people struggling with illnesses. We add to that list. But one thing we do know, every prayer that we pray in behalf of those that God's love, those prayers will be answered. There's going to be a day that's going to be better than any day we have ever experienced. And you think about that for a brief moment because that goes over our heads sometimes. Think about the most fun you have ever had. Think about the greatest joy you've ever experienced. Think about the day that you had more endorphins popping in your head from excitement than you've ever experienced. And when the Lord comes, you will exponentially be filled with joy. And by the way, this joy won't end. This is going to be joy forevermore. What do you say? Not giddy, not silly, but joy. Not, not PlayStation joy. Not cable TV joy. Not basketball championship joy. Not eating joy. Not getting married joy. But eternal life joy. I look forward to the day when Jesus can come and take us to the place that we have long talked about, preached about, prayed about, and sung about. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all get a chance to see Jesus. You know, you've got to really pray hard because some of us have been in this thing so long that to us it's now just a habit. Don't ever allow your Christianity to become a habit. It's got to be something that is awakened every day. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. There's bread in the Word of God every day that's fresh. Never allow your Christianity to become stale. Never allow your Christianity to become traditional. And don't allow the world to crowd you so away from Christ that the things of the world become a priority in your life. We've got to put worldliness down. Come on, somebody. We've got to dress like we're getting ready for heaven. We've got to talk like we're getting ready for heaven. We've got to eat like we're getting ready for heaven. We've got to be willing to put health reform and dress reform not health deform but health reform i was reading the writings of ellen white and she talked about the difference between health reform and health health deform she says when we make a test well god has never made a test health reform becomes health deform we've got to eat like those that are getting ready for a heavenly diet what do you say that means you can't always have it your way
Forget about the golden arches and think about the golden streets. Amen? Amen. That's right. This body, you only get one. It's hard to believe I'm only 35. Isn't that right? I met somebody yesterday we hadn't seen in a long time, and she said, you guys just don't age. I said, I love you even more. <laughs> but if you think my wife is pretty now, you wait till we get to heaven. That's why I'm holding on to her. See, some of you think that your wife is getting older and all that. Uh-uh. She's getting better. That's right, because I'm going to finally look like I'm supposed to look when I get to heaven. Amen, somebody. Don't be trading them in. Don't be trying to get a newer model. Amen. Because when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, my wife is going to be the best model in heaven. Amen. I, I, I look forward to eternity with her. I look forward to spending eternity with her. And if she can cook that good down here, just imagine how good she's going to cook in heaven. <laughs> Love you, honey. And then one day, my wife and I are going to get to take the best trip together. We have flown together to 51 countries. We are now frequent flyers with American Airlines, but Jesus has other plans because he's purchased for us by his blood a seat on the new Jerusalem Airlines. <laughs> and I just can't wait. You know, you stand at the terminal gate and you wait till your names are called. We are, we are platinum customers and it always feels good that they said, you know, uh, they always start with the guys that are way ahead of us, you know, executive platinum. We think, okay, I think there's something. <laughs> and they, then they get down to, you know, Emerald and whatever and they finally get down to platinum and we get up like we're really important. <laughs> and we walk in. But I tell you, when Jesus comes, we're going to all not be gold or platinum. We're going to all be covered by the blood of the Lamb. What do you say? Doesn't matter if I go in first or go in last, as long as the door is shut behind us. What do you say? Get ready for the journey of the ages. The longest single flight we've taken together is 16 and a half hours from Atlanta to Johannesburg, South Africa. Can you imagine two days' work just sitting in an airplane? But if you don't like that, don't get nervous because the flight we're going to take to heaven is going to be seven days long. Amen? Amen? And while we're in flight, we're going to be singing some songs. All the way my Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of his joy. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When I wake to life immortal, wing my flight to realms of day. This my song through endless ages. Come on now. Jesus led me all the way. We're going to see things we've never seen before. We're going to pass constellations we've never passed before. We're going to see what God can really do. I'm looking forward to see how God made this thing. I'm looking forward to being there the day that he remakes this thing. That he puts death to death. That he puts sin to death. Never accept or believe the idea that sin will ever have a chance of coming back a second time. Because I believe today and I hold on to the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. If Jesus defeated sin at the cross, it's defeated. Can you say amen to that? Amen. His blood is sufficient. The devil nor sin is going to survive the coming of the Lord. But now for those of you that like potluck, get ready for the banquet of the ages. Oh, I should have got more amens than that. Amen. Unless you're still digesting your lunch. Get ready for the banquet of the ages. When the promise that Jesus made to his disciples 2,000 years ago will be fulfilled in our sight. 
He said to them in Matthew 26 and 29, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I plan on being there for that dinner. What do you say? Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter where you sit. Ellen White says that the table is going to appear as though it's miles long. And no matter where you sit, you're going to feel like you're at the right hand of the Father. Amen? I mean, what a table is going to be. We've got pictures. We try to, to create in our own minds what heaven is going to be. But brethren, the best drawing you've ever seen, the best artist conception that you have ever been able to create falls far short, far short of anything that God has in store for us. That's another reason I want to go. I've seen a whole lot. I can't wait to see what God has in store for us. Anybody else like that? Yeah, all these science fiction movies and all these uh, creators of all these special effects, you know, they could really make you dizzy with these, these special effects nowadays. You think 3D is something. Wait till God finishes creating. Amen. He's probably going to show us 4D because we're not going to see it all around us. We're going to be right in the middle of it. What do you say? Traveling for seven days on the power of divinity. Passing stars and constellations far beyond Orion. Entering through a portal that scientists says, if we ever even get near to it, it will crush anything that gets within its proximity. One day we're going to see Jesus. One day we're going to be able to touch his hands. One day we're going to be able to see his face. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. One day we're going to sit down with Jesus and say, Father, tell me about all the times you spared me when I drove my car. Help me, tell me what it was like when you helped me make it from one week to the next. Tell me, Lord, how you saved my children. Tell me, Lord, how you answered my prayer for those that were going astray. And you laid me to rest until you still saved them. I want to tell you this. I left the church when, when my mother died. And I went out into the world. But she prayed for me before she died. And God answered that prayer. What do you say? You see, my brother and my sisters, don't, don't stop praying because God is going to answer the prayers. Keep on praying. The final movements are going to be rapid. No more night. No more pain. No more tears. Never crying again. Praises to the great I Am. And we will live in the light of the risen Lamb. I'm looking forward to that day. So what do you do when camp meeting is over? Do you go back home and just sit down? What do you do, church? Tell me, somebody, in two words, what do you do when you go home? You get your family ready. You get your life ready. You get your prayer life ready. You get your spiritual life ready. You begin to pray like folk that are looking forward to Jesus come. You begin to live like Jesus is coming tomorrow. You begin to love like Jesus is on his way. I like the way that HMS Sr. said, you know, all of his life he would say and end his programs and he would say, Jesus is coming soon. And somebody at his bedside was sitting there with him and they said, Elder Richards, you're about to be laid to rest. What do you say now? Jesus hasn't come yet. And he said with a fainting voice, he's on his way. Come on, somebody. He's on his way. He's on his way. They say that heaven is 10 zillion light years away, but he's on his way. The final movements will be rapid. The people of God have to get ready. Jesus is soon to come. We've got to live like we want to go. We've got to love like we want to go. And so, my brothers and my sisters, wherever you may be from, let's not become enamored by where we're from, but let's begin to get enamored by where we're headed. 
No matter what country you come from, no matter what your nationality may be, no matter what you believe and what you don't believe, it's time to get ready because where I've come from is nothing in comparison to where I'm going. So by God's grace, let's get ready. What do you say? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.